The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Amen. Thank you, Meg. Meg, one thing, the weather changes, but your quality never does. So thank you for doing that as to God's glory every week. And I mean that sincerely. Uh, she is a blessing to us. Thank you very much. Well, I invite your attention this morning, if you have your Bible, uh, to Mark chapter 4. Uh, I am fighting that cold bug apparently as well, so uh, pardon my voice if it feels scratchy like Screech from Saved by the Bell, for those of you who know that. But uh, God is good. Uh, and we will get through. We are in Mark chapter 4, and uh, just want to say thank you to Brother Nelson uh, as well for preaching last week. Uh, I encourage you, if you're, especially if you're a church member at Tower View as you're turning to Mark 4, uh, to, to go online, go to Facebook Live, which we do every week on our Facebook page or to our website, Tower View KC, to hear Nelson's message last week, which kicked off our Healthy Church series that we're doing the second Sunday of each month all the way through the end of the year as we look at Tower View 2020, what God would have for us. But as we continue through that, we're also going to Mark chapter 4. And uh, here's the weird thing. So you're going to see this next week. So you heard this. Uh, five weeks ago, Dr. Branch preached from this pulpit, and he did one chapter of Mark in one 35-minute sermon. Whoa. That's amazing. So we're going to be in Mark 4 this week. And as we're continuing our way through Mark, we're going to skip chapter 5, all right? So if you'd miss that message, there's a plug again for our website or Facebook Live. We will be in Mark chapter 6 starting next week. So if you're like, wow, what did I miss? Well, you, a whole chapter, basically. It was awesome if you were here that day and got to hear it. Well, you're in Mark one point, if you know your geography well, that on the southern tip of Africa, there is a that separates the Atlantic Ocean from the Indian Ocean. And one of the early explorers Africa's ocean waters was Bartholomew Diaz, who went around a cape, as it's called, this little inlet, and Megan will put it up on the screen, or camera, and you'll see it there. And when he went around it, it was stormy. It was terrible. It was going crazy all about. And so he named the place Cape of Storms. But then just a few years later, one of his brothers in his uh, uh, explorer journeys, Vasco da Gama, came and changed the name to the Cape of Good hope. And guess what it was doing when he went around the Cape? There were storms. It was crazy. The wind was blowing. But da Gama wasn't looking at the storms there. He was looking towards the treasures, or they thought the treasures that were in India and the Far East that came. Isn't it weird how perspective sometimes that we call the storms of life, if you wish, can change how we view things? How one person can look at a glass of water. You've done this before. Man, that's half full. Perspective makes a big thing, especially when it comes to the storms of life. But if you can see the glorious redemption of eternity ahead of you, you can call it what only Christ can, a life of good hope. And this morning, as we, as Richard read, Psalm 89.9 reminds us, as you'll see on the screen, that, that God is the one who rules the raging sea. And when its waves rise up, he stills them. Jesus Christ is Lord of the storm. He controls every element of its raging force. 
He sovereignly determines which one of us, his disciples, are sent into the storm and precisely how and when they will enter it. The same Jesus providentially and sovereignly brings these storms and wisely uses them in our lives for his glory, God's glory, and our good. The same God powerfully controls the storms and according to his perfect timing, basically puts the stages, the parts, under his supreme authority. Why would God do this? Two lessons at least. For to discipline us, according to Hebrews 12, but also to bring others to Jesus Christ. Think about Paul and how he came to know Jesus. He was persecuting Christians, and all of a sudden he gets knocked off his horse, and then just a little time later he comes to know the eternal God through his son, Jesus Christ. But above all, the storms of life are used to test us, to mold us, to help us focus and, and do these things, because God often puts you in your hardest things in life to remind you that you are not in control. And oh, for us type A, close to the best people, that is the hardest lesson we may ever learn, amen? God puts us into the storm in over our heads so we cannot touch the bottom. Why? Because he wants to show us where our faith is, where our hope is, where our trust, where our priorities are in a moment. He's going to show us that today as we look at this famous passage from Mark chapter 4. So what is this all about? What we're going to look at is a historical account that's actually happened, but what does it teach us, not about ourselves necessarily, but about the God of the storm, the champion of the storm? Our big idea today, our, our, our just single rifle focus, is that we should never become so focused on the storms of life that we live to the exclusion of the sovereignty of God, to what he can do. And I'm going to look at six truths about this, short little truths, and they're all starting with an S. Praise the Lord. Good Baptist alliteration coming your way. But here it is. We need to look at six little vignettes, little windows of this story that's very familiar to you. We're going to see Jesus' strategic withdrawal. We're going to see the storm come up. And you've seen those storms happen in KC, right? They just kind of pop up out of nowhere. We're going to see a sleeping Savior. And because he's sleeping, we're going to see some themselves. Jesus, don't you care about us? I mean, this storm's going around, and you're sleeping on a cushion, just chilling out over there. But we're going to see that behind this is a sovereign authority. And then Jesus gets right in their face and just says, look, you have no idea who I am, do you? And he reminds them of those facts. Let's set the context. It's been a couple weeks and many for some of us with the weather on Sundays. But these disciples in Mark have been sitting under the teaching of Jesus, haven't they? They, they have been these amazing teachings. The crowds are following them. It's great. Life is good. People are showing up. But Jesus is about to remind them they, they can't just know the truth. They must grow in the truth. They must not just learn from these great sermons. They must live it out. And it is they, these disciples, that must directly behold the sovereignty of God and the supreme authority over each part of their lives. They must know that heaven and hell and earth are all under God's sovereign authority. What a great comfort that is to us, church, even today. What God did there with them is what God is doing for us now. God is sending some of you into the storms of life. Some of you, it's finances. Some of you, it's your faith. Some of you, it's your family. Some of you, it's a million other things that we and might find ourselves as these disciples found themselves overwhelmed by the situation. And if you're type A, like I said, that is the worst case dream that you could have. Forget walking in your birthday suit somewhere, speaking in front of people. For us type A's, to be overwhelmed, to be unprepared, 
is the worst thing that could ever happen. Am I alone in that? Does anyone else feel that way? My secretary says that. That's great. So that's good. <laughs> Thank you, Judy, that we share that bond together. That's good. You and me and one other person. But only there, of course, can our faith be revealed. But what we're going to see, in the, in, in Dr. Branch said this, in, in chapter 5, we saw that Jesus has authority over the difficulties, the, the demons, disease, and death. But God puts them in this place to remind them that only he is the one that can get them through it. Every trial we face is to move forward to serve with him. With that in mind, if you're visiting, we especially welcome you. And this is a tradition we do, hopefully for a long, long time. But if you're able to stand for God's word as we read it, will you join us in doing an honor of God's word this morning? Mark chapter 4. And I'll be reading out of the English Standard Version, which is the uh, Pew Bible version as well. Starting in verse 35, chapter Mark chapter 4, verse Today, in recent weeks, when evening had come, Jesus said to them, Let's go across to the other side. So crowd, they took him in the boat just as he was, and note this key phrase, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and was already filling up. But verse 38, he was, that's Jesus, sleeping in the stern on a cushion, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care we're perishing? Your version may say dying. And he said, Peace, or hush, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm, and he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to another, Who then is this? The wind and the seas obey him. What an awesome God we serve. Let's go before our Lord as we study today. Father, as we come to a very familiar passage, honestly, taught way out of context, we pray that you keep us tethered not to the storms of our lives, Lord, but is the champion of the storm, which is you. Father, we thank you that this does speak to us. It is applicable to us, but before we can get there, we've got to see who you are. So, Father, morning, encourage us in our doubt, challenge us to live for you in ways that we may never have, and for some in the Lord, that may be seeing you for as you want, but whatever lies before us, thank you, Lord, that you are the champion, you are the one who died the death we couldn't die, lived the life we couldn't live, absorbed the punishment we could never pay, was buried and rose again and busted that door down that death had. Thank you that that same God is the same God here that was the same yesterday, today, and forever. Father, let this high theology not just be a study that's in an ivory tower, but let it be in the deepest recess of our church, wherever we may go. We thank you and we pray this to the glory and honor of your name. In Jesus' name, God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Well, I'm going to call your attention first off to verse 35 as we begin, verse 35. And this is a very, very familiar passage. I, I want to remind you as we go through these things that what we are doing is going verse by verse the best we can because it teaches us a, a full diet of God's Word. You know, it would be great if you could eat bonbons and cookies and, and Lamar's or Krispy Kreme donuts for the rest of your life. That probably wouldn't bode well for you, would it? In fact, that would not be healthy at all. And so it is with preaching, as Nelson shared last week, as we share these stories, we want to give you stories that are more familiar like this, but also take you to passages that are more difficult, because that is where God will reveal himself. 
But first off, I want you to see this, this window here that, that Jesus shows us in verse 35, the strategic withdrawal. You notice in your Bible it says, on that day. What day is that? It's on the same day that Jesus has been doing a whole lot of ministry, a whole lot of work. It comes at the end of a very long day. And what is being really elevated here, I think, is the servanthood of Jesus. Jesus is, he's servant. He's out in the community. He's doing all sorts of things because a servant, a true servant, gives tireless effort for their master. Well, what's he been doing? He's been teaching. He's been preaching. He's been reproving, rebuking, healing, explaining, interpreting, evangelizing. In chapter 3, it says he didn't even eat for a while. Boy, we can't even go three hours without eating sometimes. Jesus is going crazy. But all in one day, not an unusual day as compared to other days, but most days were like this. It was busy. It was full. It's like many of you. You wake up in the morning, and some of you wake up way before God. Well, God's the Lord of time. But sometimes you wake up at 2, 3 in the morning, y'all, and you are running until 10 o'clock at night on fumes trying to make it work. That's a, a little bit perhaps in his humanity how Jesus was feeling here. But then it says in verse 35 that evening came. You notice that. So this is the sundown, total darkness, not dusk, but it's dark. It's pitch black outside. And they're going to the other side. Why? Why is he going to the other side? Because you know what? Just like you and me, sometimes you just got to get away. Everything Jesus did was strategic. And they're on the west side of the shore of Galilee, and they want to go to the east about six or eight miles by boat. And he was going to recover. He was going to get away from the crowd. You ever feel like that before? You just got, some of you are, are introverts, and one minute of extroverted time gives you like a day at home, right? And so you feel that. Some of you extroverts are like, what are you talking about? Give me more, give me more. And some of us are in the middle like, oh my goodness, I don't know what to do. But he had emptied himself. He's spent. He's done. The fork's in him. He, all he wanted to do in his humanity was just crash out. You ever feel like that before? Our Savior felt like that. And so in verse 36, it says he was leaving the crowd. His intent was to leave the crowd because it took so much out of him, not because he didn't care. His withdrawal is strategic. He needs rest. And it says leaving the crowd, they took him. That's the disciples with them in the boat just as he was. They took him just where he was. They didn't try and say, hey, go take a nap. They're just like, Jesus, you're tired, man. Get in the boat. Get in here. But I want you to note that phrase I tried to point out as I read, just as he was. Well, they're trying to get away, but notice what happens here. It says that other boats followed him. No matter where Jesus goes, people seem to him. And that's what happened. It's a very large crowd. They took him into the boat. He's exhausted. He's already in the boat. He's teaching, and then he couldn't get away. The crowd still follows him. What a reminder to us as we look at this passage that we never know what awaits us, but the Lord leads us as we should. Last night before bed, Natalie and I were reading through Mark, ironically, we're in chapter 5, and we read about the demon-possessed man. You were here for that preaching. You may remember the demon-possessed man, Mark chapter 5, gets the demon cast out of him. They go in the pigs, they go in the ocean, and this man is so excited. He wants to go with Jesus wherever he goes. You remember what Jesus told him? He said, you're not coming with me. You're staying right here. You're going to be a minister right here. It said Jesus would not let him go. It's no irony here that the same Lord who in a chapter a few days later would prevent this demon-possessed man is the same Lord who wanted these boats to follow him, who wanted the disciples to see Jesus as he was, conked out, knocked out, exhausted, because they never knew. They thought they were just going across the sea. They never knew what awaited them. 
But God was perfectly aligning everything up to show them one of the greatest miracles that he did here on earth. Friends, you may be ready to bust out of whatever situation you're in, but that may not be because it may be just as Jesus was with the demon-possessed man. It may never be where God wants you to go. Trust his timing. Trust his leading. Trust his ownership. Notice, secondly, the sudden storm. Look back at verse 37. These are very short points. Notice verse 37. They're traveling along. They're trying to get away, get Jesus some rest. Just, they're excited at the same time. And then all of a sudden, a great windstorm picks up. I know we have some Oklahoma people in our midst, and I've been in Oklahoma enough to know that wind and those storms can whip up about anywhere, especially around Oklahoma City and all those places, the tornadoes. You've been in those places, haven't you? I know some of you have been walking in the mountains before, and they tell you don't get up in the mountains when the storm rages, but out of nowhere these storms just come. It's exactly what happened here. Your version may say a gale of wind, a great windstorm. The quiet journey, the restful journey turns into this crazy thing. And these people, just to give you some geography, are below sea level by 700 feet. It's a wind vacuum. Around on the west is like a tabletop, a flat tabletop, and these winds begin to pick up as the heat begins to rise, and they blow from the Mediterranean Sea west inward, and, and it's like standing on several Empire State Buildings, and the wind just, as I understand it, just comes down and just whooshes through like this. And they act like wind tunnels. And all of a sudden, this peaceful journey turns into this journey that they never expected. Things happened. But do you think this is just random? I mean, is this just Mother Nature, quote-unquote, doing her thing? No. This is God lining up everything as he wants it to be. You notice there it goes on to say that the waves broke over the boat. The waves broke over the boat. What's happening here? This isn't like when you go on float trips and your buddies are like, hey, let's rock the boat. No, the water's coming in, coming in, coming in. It's like when your basement floods. It's like, where in the world is this coming? It just keeps coming. comes in. And they're pounding. And it's pounding and pounding and pounding. How quickly life can change from a starlit night to a storm. And friends, if we are true believers, we will always face true storms. If you're here today and you've repented and believed in Jesus alone for your salvation, then you're going to face storms of devastation. You're going to face storms of disappointment. Boy, you're going to face storms of of things that will not run smoothly. You had your whole day planned out, and by golly, nothing went to plan, and everything went to the stuff that you don't want to do. And what Jesus reminds us of here, I think, very clearly is that as we go through this, the storms are of his choice in your life. They're not impersonal forces. Please don't let science override what the Bible tells us. God controls nature. And a faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. And if your faith has not been tested recently, it's not enough just to hear the teaching. The disciples heard the teaching, but they needed to be engrafted in their souls. And this is something that would stick with them for the rest of their lives. I have, I'm going to share a story with you. I've shared it so many times in this church, but I just love it. Some of you, are, you know uh, uh, John Wesley was riding on a horse one day. You know the story, right? I've shared this before. He's riding along on the horse. Do, 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 do. Lord, and he prayed, I haven't been persecuted for my faith in a week. Then his neighbor took a rock and he threw it and it knocked him off his horse. And what did he say? Oh, ouch. No, he said, Lord, praise God because I know I'm your child. What is he getting at? 
If you're a true believer, you will face storms. Any other Christianity that says that life is just all well and good, I don't know what Christianity you're reading about. Because the Bible reminds us that there is a storm coming, but the storms have been silenced and are controlled by this God who is our God. Trust in Him. I want you to see thirdly the sleeping Savior. So you've got this Jesus withdraws, then he, 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 the storm comes, and then notice what happens here in verse 38. It's almost comical if you want to get to it. Because Jesus knows what's going to happen, but, but here we are. So, verse 38 says, but Jesus was asleep in the stern on a cushion. Does your Bible say a pillow, maybe? Yeah, he was asleep in all those things. Jesus is conked out. He's had a long day. There's this big storm raging. But the Son of God, fully man and fully God, is just sleeping away. And every storm he would send, he was in the boat with them. He's in the stern, which is the lower part, not because he's aloof or out of touch, but because he was working harder than anyone else. He's conked out. He's tired. And that cushion is where the steering would be, so to speak, of the boat itself. It's a great, great also reminder to us that Jesus was fully God, but fully human, as you'll see on the screen. He was so exhausted in the service of his Father that uh, nothing else could, could get him away. But friends, let us not forget that Jesus was a human. He thirsted, did he not, on the cross? He ate. He hungered. Uh, not to be silly with it, but Jesus had to use the bathroom too. Jesus had everything as you as a human. He was tempted in every way, Hebrews 4 and 2 says, but yet was without sin. He was a body that would feel pain. He's a body that got exhausted, that needed rest. But what a reminder that our Savior is not some faraway deity that has nothing to do with us, but He's the God who came down to save sinners such as us. Amen? What an awesome God. That's not just at Christmas for four Sundays to be cool with church sermon titles. That's the real truth every day of the year. You ever feel like that when you're doing the will of God? You ever feel like that in your life when... When life is so hard, you know, moms that you give to your kids, dads you provide, grandparents, you may do things that you never thought you would do. You, you're taking in your grandkids perhaps, or there's a situation or someone or something that just consumes you, and you are so out of it. I mean, you can like, you can sit down and be talking, and, and I, I fortunately this happens to me sometimes. I'll, I'll be talking, especially to my wife, and I'll fall asleep. Oops, sorry. It happens. Uh, Steve Braden, if you're in here, brother, Steve works so hard, but uh, sometimes uh, I've seen Steve, and he just, he works hard, and he just passes out, because you're exhausted, you're tired, and our Savior, being fully God, yes, 100% God, but at the same time, being 100% man, shows us that every one of us, even in, through the storms of life, sometimes we just can't face, we just conk out. But I'm glad it doesn't end there, right? Aren't you glad? But it takes a couple points to get there. Look back at verse 38. Look at number four, the shaken disciples. Notice what happens to these guys. So Jesus is asleep, and the very first thing they do is they say, we got to get Jesus. Let's go get him. So look at verse 38. It says, he was asleep on the cushion, and what did they do? They woke him up. Oh, can you see that discussion? The waves are going, and, and they're having a party over here saying, no, you do it. No, you do it. You do it over here. I don't want to wake him. I don't want to wake Jesus up. You do it. So they, it's, we don't know how it went down, but they went in together. They did this. 
And it says that they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing or dying? That preaches, doesn't it? How many times have we been in this boat, literally otherwise, where we have looked around and they were about, they weren't able to do with the story. They, they got Jesus up and they said, Jesus, there's irony here because they are experienced fishermen. These are guys that, man, you remember this study of the 12 disciples? These are manly men, manly men. But from their eyes, the Lord is not in control. You notice that word there. You notice what they call him? They call him what? Teacher. That's a, that's a generic expression that they're not sure what, who he is really. Teacher is just a generic rabbi, whatever, that somehow he's uncaring. But sometimes we feel this way when we offer our prayers and we see the storm and there seems to be nothing but silence. There's really two storms going on here. There's the physical storm in the sea. But I'm here to submit to you that's the lesser of the two storms. There's the storm of the heart, the panic going on. And there's three things, briefly, you'll see on the screen. I want to run with you through. You need to know these things. First, is that the Lord has said he's going to the Over there, six or eight miles to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. They will make it hell or high water or anything in between. They may be terrified. Promise them an easy trip. Jesus told them we're going to the other side. Secondly, who's in the boat with them? Jesus is. The Lord is in the boat with them. He's already shown in the previous chapters we study his his unrivaled power and sovereignty. And I'm here to tell you today, as long as Jesus is on board, he's told you where you're going, the ship is going to go down. He'll rescue all those who are on board because that's what he's promised he will do. And the third thing I want you to get about this is Jesus is at perfect peace with the storm. Jesus is at rest, and they should be too. Now, I, I, I know, and as I even say that, as I wrote that sentence this week, I thought, but we're humans. We're going to be just like the disciples. Jesus, wake up! Save us! Come on! But it's a great reminder to us, church, that if Jesus is up in arms about something, we should be up in arms about something. If Jesus is resting in something, then we should rest at something. We need to be whatever Jesus is be in the storm with Jesus and be in the calm without him. What do we learn? These disciples are all shaken up, but now Jesus is awake, and oh, when you wake up the sleeping giant, so to speak, better watch out. Here's what happens next. Number five, the sovereign authority. Look back at verse 39. They've withdrawn. There's been a storm. There's been these shaken disciples. There's been a sleeping Savior, but now I want you to see the sovereign authority. And this is really what it's about. It's about God and his power in this passage. Verse 39. And it says, and Jesus awoke. And that, notice that's the second time that's noted there. They woke him and he awoke. That double emphasis. And he awoke. And what did he do? He rebuked the wind. And said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. Friends, I want you to know, and this is great, you can take this to the bank, he got up. Jesus always hears the cries of than the ceiling up there. You need to be reminded that God is bigger than that ceiling. He has busted it through. He's in the heavens ruling, and heaven is never in any panic. 
heaven doesn't have to chase our, check our Facebook or Twitter or social media feed every few minutes to see how we're really feeling. Or, or hey, Siri, I'm feeling really bad today. What do I do? Well, you can go 5.5 miles down to this doctor and help with this. That's not to say doctors are bad. But God doesn't need that information. He's always there. And I want you to see as he rebuked, literally in the Greek, he ordered the wind. He said, get in line. Get in there. He created the six days of creation, and he's the one who makes and controls them. And if you're using the New American Standard Version, I think some of you do in here. He, he literally says in this, he says, hush. Does anyone still say that these days? Hush. Hush. All the, all the grandparents are smiling. Peace. Be silent. It literally, that word means to muzzle. I don't have a dog, but, uh, you know, you, you muzzle an angry dog, don't you? That's literally what Jesus is commanding the wind here. He's, he's muzzling it. It, it, the, the other translation could be, get back into your kennels. Literally, shut up, wind. Stop it. No more wind and no more wave, just like that. Note how quickly and suddenly it died down. These hurricane force winds to not it, just like that. It's not like when you put your kids in the bathtub, and we, 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 we try to prevent this, but we, you know sometimes the two or three kids in the bath, you know uh, the water starts wobbling around. You know that effect? Woo. Woo. And all the water comes over, and you forgot that you didn't put a towel or a rug down. And you're like, oh, goodness, we've got to get those floorboards replaced or something like that. It's not what's happening here. This is literally not the slowdown effect that you get in a boat or something like that, but it was a split second as flat as a pool table, just like that. This is the sovereign authority of our Lord. Friend, is there any prayer request? that you can bring, and Cameron, or Megan will put this up, is there any prayer requests that you can bring before God that can be too difficult? Can the God who calmed these ways by his sovereign authority, if you ever ask him for anything, doesn't he just have to give his word for it to stop? And there are times we'll look at our lives and say, God, if you just said the word, this would be done. This would stop. The, you know, today's Sanctity of Life Sunday. We celebrate the life and protection of the unborn. And, and God, if you just gave the word, it would stop. God, if you just gave the word, it would stop. We don't understand all God's ways, but we know that when God in his sovereign will and providence form before eternity past decides to act, it's done. The greatest evidence of that, Christian, is when Jesus said on the cross that great phrase, it is finished. You don't need baptism to be saved. You don't need good works. You don't need church religion. You don't need a, a pastor or a priest or a shaman to say your sins are forgiven. You go straight to Jesus, and that's it. It's done. And Jesus is teaching us that he possesses all authority of heaven and earth, authority to send the Holy Spirit, authority to co convert enemies, to rout the devil, and to succeed. That is our God. There's no greater comfort than to have this ministry or life, to have this Lord in the boat who, when aroused, says, hush, and it's done. He can still calm the storm in the outside, but the greater one on the inside. Some of you are dealing with things in your life, to be quite honest with you, that you would never share with anyone else. That could be addiction to looking at things on the Internet. That could be a secret thing that you do with your money. That could be something in your marriage. That could be something in your job. That could be guilt that you've carried with you for whatever situation. Can I tell you today, if God can calm the storm, he can definitely calm the storm inside of you. And the greatest of which is that you are a sinner in need of grace found only in Jesus Christ. And that's what we know. No greater comfort in this life to say when the wind is hush and it's hush. Let's look at number six lastly. I want you to see the sharp 
rebuke. The sharp rebuke. You'll notice this. Look back at verse 40 here. And Jesus says, in this, it says, he said to them, Jesus said to them, <laughs> can you picture this? Remember, who's going who's gonna to wake him up? Now they're all in it together. So guess what? You're all guilty by association here. So here it is. Verse 40. Why are you, and that's plural, why are y'all, for you southern folks here, why are y'all so afraid? Have you still no faith? Why are you so afraid? Literally, that word afraid means they have no reason to be. They get the blessings and the rebukes of being the Jesus because the closer you get to him, the more he expects and desires out of you. That's why today, if you're not a Christian, you're hearing the word of God, maybe for the first time or the millionth time that God someday will take every sermon that you've heard and apply it to your life and throw it on, however that works, the day of judgment to say there's a witness against you. And even Christians, that we are to live the truth out. But praise God, there is grace. And he said to them, why are they afraid? It's a cowardly fear. It's almost like God is saying, why are you having an emotional breakdown as if there's no God that has done anything for you? The greatest danger wasn't the wind or, way, wind or waves. The greatest danger, guys, was their unbelief in their hearts. That was greater than any storm they could ever face. When they looked at that storm and said, this could never be calmed. But Jesus reminded them that it is. He said, you have no faith. Whoa. That's like someone coming up to you and saying, hey, are you sure you're really a Christian? But I've been going to this church for 75 years, six days, five seconds, and one nanosecond. I know I'm a Christian. You would feel offended, wouldn't you? And in some degree, I'm sure they are, but what Jesus is telling them is he's basically saying, I expected so much more of you, maybe from the Gentiles or the pagans I would expect this response, but you guys have taken your eyes off me and focused instead on the storm and not the sovereign one of the storm. The storm either makes or breaks us, guys. It really does. The Lord expects faith and trust in Him, and we don't have anything else to explain these storms. This wasn't impersonal force. It wasn't Mother Nature. It wasn't this or that. It, it, God is not the author of evil, but we should have faith and trust in times when God is seemingly more visible to us and seemingly times when He's not. And notice their reaction. And I think it's very common to what we would. Look at verse 41. He tells them here, Have you no faith? And their reaction is very sharp. And they were filled with what? Great fear. I want you to know that same word for great fear, became afraid, is the same fear that people saw the miracles of Jesus. And they're like, whoa. <laughs> I don't know what you ate for breakfast, man, but it sure ain't Wheaties, that's for sure. That's what it is. It's that same phrase. We get our word phobia from this word. They are standing in front of the one God incarnate. They're, this is no casual worship service here. They are they're at a point of saying, wow, he really is the one. Who then is this, they say? The conclusion has to be made. They had no idea who he was. They're only starting to see it. But no matter how long they've known the Lord, you must say, who then is this? You will never exhaust the Lord. If your Christianity gets bored, then you don't have the Jesus of Christianity. Because the Jesus of Christianity is so unfathomable. That if you took the greatest submarine and went down to the greatest depths of the world, or the greatest, uh, what is it, Nelson, or, uh, Space 10 or whatever, yeah, the rocket's going up, it's not NASA, whatever it is, SpaceX, yeah, one of those, you take that to the highest heavens, you would never even begin to touch the foothills of the Himalayas that are our God. 
Christian, if you have been stuck in a rut spiritually because you, you know what's to expect you as a Christian, that's great. You know the truth. You should live. Wonderful. But have you lost your awe of this God? We are indeed either headed out of a storm, into a storm, or, or, or going out of one. We're so easily shaken. But let me remind you, and Megan's going to put these up here as we close, what Jesus is going to do here. Jesus is the Lord, the champion of the storm. And guys, the Lord has promised to get us to the other side. In your salvation, you don't have to worry if you are saved today, if you mess up royally. By God's grace, the fact that you have repentance in your life is, is evidence that you know this Jesus and he's going to carry you on. Praise God for that. Because there are some days when I don't feel like a Christian. I don't know about you. I look at my own heart, my own life, and I say, how could someone, how? But God reminds her, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Your sins have been taken as far as east is from the west. Jesus loses not one of his sheep. No one can snatch them out of his hand. Look, it's not going to be an easy trip wherever we're going as a church, as a family, as Christians. But he will undertake our cause. And we are just here for such a short amount of time. Church, can I remind us and apply this as a church, as, as we're looking out at, at, at looking at our structure and things in the coming years, and no major decisions have been made. We're just going back to Scripture. We, we need to be reminded of this, because there are going to be times we look at this and say, what is that? I've never heard that before. What is this? And we need to be reminded that the Lord has promised to get us to the other side. The gates of hell will never, will never prevail against us. They can't. Jesus is the champion of the church. Secondly, the Lord is with you, with us. The one thing to have your church or family, guys, is to praise God for this encouragement. The Lord is with us. Though it looks like things are failing around, and maybe they are, the one thing we can know for sure is that He is sufficient, that we can get through the storm. Friends, I would take anything else, no matter what storm is raging in your life, there is no panic in heaven. Aren't you grateful for that? Sometimes, look, I don't care which side of the poll, you know, we've just been praying there'd be a resolution to this. Is the government on? Is it off? I don't, you figure that one out. I don't know. But I'm grateful that there's no, there's no voting going on in heaven right now as to whether or not heaven should be open. God said it's open. You come through Jesus and that's all you need to know. And it's always going to be free for all those who come and the benefits last forever. That's pretty good because that can't be said right now. He's the one who knows it all and governs and all rest in the Lord. Romans 8, 28 in proper context reminds us that, that, that you know, <laughs> everything that happens is for our good. Everything works out for our good. Not because it's going to be to our favor, our plans, our advantage. It's whatever the Lord has and whatever the Lord's had is, is its best. For some of you this year, that may be the greatest heartache you've ever faced. For some of you this year, that may be the greatest joy you've ever faced as well that God brings in your life. But he's with you. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Many of you know this by heart. We, you know, don't trust in your own understanding. But, 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 but what? You lean on the Lord. And don't turn to the right or to the left. But trust in the Lord. And may I remind you lastly as we close. That Jesus is at perfect peace with the storm. Oh, but he didn't know that was going to happen. Yeah, he did. But, but, but God would never have done that. Yes. Guys, God sees everything. He knows everything. You know this, Christian. But do you believe it? Do you see it? Do you trust it? 
look, you're going to face things even in the next few hours that may challenge some of you to the core of your bones. Who knows? You know, who knows? How many times have we heard about people just having the, the craziest day of their life on a day when they were just going out to go golf or something, you know? And uh, you never know. But can I remind you today that God does and that's enough? Let's rest in that fact. I don't mean that in a TV preacher sort of way. I don't mean that in some weird sort of way. I mean that because God is the champion of the storm. Will you bow your heads with me as we pray today? Father God, we come before you this morning prayerfully challenged and encouraged. What a great passage. Great passage to remind us not just about who you are, but Father, what our response should be in those times. And Father, forgive us even this day that when we have come before you through. Father, but I thank you that you are. I thank you there is no height nor depth. There's no uh, anything that can separate us from the love of God that is now in Christ Jesus. What a great eternal thing to stake our lives on. Father, we thank you. Our salvation is secure if we are found truly in Christ because of what Jesus did. Father, I thank you that whatever trial we face, as, as Joseph said, that what was meant for evil was ultimately meant for our good. Genesis 50, 20. Father, I thank you for the promise of Psalm 119 that says it is good for us to be afflicted so we might learn your decrees. But Father, through that all is the God who said and reminded us five times that you will never, never, never forsake us and nor, nor, nor leave us or however that works. Father, thank you for that. This isn't just a Hallmark card verse, Lord. This is who you are. And we pray as a church, as we go forward in things, as we talk through business meeting tonight, as we have our fourth Sunday fellowship to talk about the future next Sunday at five, that you be glorified. Pray that for families here today, too, who are looking at situations, whether that's within the family, person to person, whether that is something, you know, outside of them, a job or finances, Lord, we submit that all to you. You are sufficient. You are able. Father, we pray that for our church as well, that when situations interpersonally and situations uh, insurmountably look too big, Father, remind us that you who said hush to the storm is the one that can bring peace to those times. Father, we praise you because you have ultimately done that in Christ. We who were far off have now been bought near and been given the peace of Christ by the blood of your Son. Father, we praise you for that. We lift this up today. In